Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. One day away from getting you ready for your weekend. Two days away from another NBA game. Three days away, two days away from the Preakness, right? 
Preakness this weekend? Think so. Think so. I, I listen. I, I'm. I got to talk horse racing because what, what do you want me to talk about? Justin Verlander was nasty last night. Woo, woo, was filthy. Take a shower. But no one's talking about Justin Verlander. No one's talking about the Dodgers who look like they're actually going to win a game in uh, in Miami. Sorry, Ramos. John Ramos is back. Ramos is back. NBA is not. NBA two days out. We got to catch our breath. Last night, a whooping at the hands of the Houston Rockets laid onto the tushies or took us of the Golden State Warriors. 127-105. And it was mildly competitive in the fourth quarter. Call here, call there, miss shot, turnover, whatever. It felt like there was still one last run in the Golden State Warriors, and it just didn't happen. Here's Steve Kerr after the game. I just think this game was a matter of um, the Rockets bringing the, the force that's necessary to win a game, and, um, and we, we didn't. But, you know, give them the credit. They came out and played uh, a great game, and, you know, we got what we deserved. They, they kicked our butts. No other way to say it. It often comes down to which one has the, uh, the edge in terms of the um, the aggression and the desperation. They were desperate tonight, and they played like it, and we didn't, and uh, the results showed. Here's what James Harden said in regards to their focus. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought, I, I thought, I thought you said, do you know who you're with? You know who you're with? Uh, James Harden uh, had this to say, we're, we're focused on what we're supposed to do. We don't really worry about who we're playing against, like if we come out and be some dogs and do what we did tonight, it doesn't matter. But if we don't, then we see the results in game one. It's not about a chess match or what they're doing. It's about us. Sure. That's like Mike D'Antoni. Be like, hey, we played ISO ball. We're going to play ISO ball again. Like, no, you didn't. You passed the ball and you shared the ball. And Trevor Reza and P.J. Tucker end up scoring the ball, which took some of the load off of James Harden, who didn't actually shoot the ball all that well. Like, I actually listen to Steve Kerr, and how he depicts a game is exactly how I see it play out. I listen to the Rockets, like, that's not at all how it happened. (laughs) They completely changed what they're doing. And, oh, yeah, by the way, defensively, defensively, they did to Golden State what Golden State did to them in game one, which is Kevin Durant wants to go for 37 points, fine, but he's not going to create shots for anybody else. Stayed home, if you will. It was like the two teams changed jerseys at the end of game one and came out in game two. Okay, this game, we're going to play the selfish role and you're going to go pass the ball around. Okay, okay, wait, wait, I'm the selfish or you're the unselfish. I'm so confused. That's the weird thing about the NBA playoffs. This is more in line with the NBA playoffs of the past. It really is. In that uh, NBA playoffs of the past, you'd have this. You'd have one game and you think you knew. Then you'd have another game like, well, I, I've. We have that in the NFL, don't we, sometimes? Where you see a game you're like, oh, there is no way this team ever wins the game. Then you see the next game like, wait a second, what? I, I don't know anything about sports. That's what Rockets Warriors look like. Look, it helps when. You get away with what could have been a foul in the first possession. Kevin Durant turns it over. 
It helps when P.J. Tucker, who hadn't been making shots, makes shots. It helps when Steph Curry appears to be either worn down or unable to get a step and to create space in a defense. I still think this is the Warriors series in six, and the logic behind six is pretty simple. They win the two at home, they lose in Houston, they win game six at home. And if anything in Houston, I'm more concerned today because Chris Paul doesn't appear to be sound. Right? Got that bad wheel. And and you won in spite of that, but that doesn't over the over a seven game series, you're gonna need Chris Paul to bail you out and win a game here or there. And without Chris Paul or without a sound Chris Paul, yee. So it did feel like Houston was the desperate team. It did feel like Houston was the aggressor. It did feel like Houston made an adjustment and decided to pass the ball. And they played better defense in allowing Kevin Durant to show his greatness, but not allowing Kevin Durant to create shots for others. Now, some of the lack of assists for Kevin Durant is because other guys weren't making shots. Well, I have found, and this is through trial and error. This is through a lifetime of of learning, playing, and now covering basketball through 900 and I think it's 30 some odd assists, 37 assists in college, that it is completely and totally impossible, impossible for you to get an assist if your teammate doesn't make a shot. I found that. That's, that's, I know, I know. Write that one down. Gottlieb said this today on radio. It was really good. You, you ready for it? It's impossible, impossible to get an assist if your teammate doesn't make a shot. I know they I'll show I'll show myself out. Is that enough? Yesterday I gave you the gem of which is a real gem, which is pick and roll basketball used to be about getting a big guy guarded by a little guy in the low post or on the boards, and now it's the about getting a big guy to guard a little guy out in the perimeter. Today I'll give you the you can't get an assist unless your teammate makes a shot. Here's Chris Paul after the game. Surprisingly, we didn't change anything. You know, we guarded the same way. I mean, obviously, we, we, we played harder, but scheme-wise, we didn't change anything. We just did everything a little harder. We just played a little harder. Yeah, you were much more aggressive. Yeah, you didn't help off shooters, and you played kind of a two-man zone, forcing Draymond to shoot, which he doesn't want to shoot. Yeah, you let Kevin Durant kind of go one-on-one, pressed up on him, made him take more mid-range shots. Yeah, you did all these things, but it's the exact. Yes, you moved the basketball and you didn't dribble it to death. Other than that, exact same thing. Okay. Sure. Got it. So, impressed by Houston, we do have at least somewhat of a series. Some of the old issues of the Golden State Warriors came to bear, you know, where Iguodala not a score, Draymond not a score, and their bench is not nearly what their bench had been in the past. You can go at Steph Curry defensively, and it wears him down, and he's not a great defender. And they do, they can get selfish. They can turn the basketball over a ton. I mean, think about this. Steph Curry, in this series is playing as the primary defender 21 and a half times over two games. In the regular season, it was 11.2. This is what the Cavs did 
to the Warriors two seasons ago. They did it over seven games. They were physical with him when he had the ball, and then when he didn't have the ball defensively, they made him guard the ball, which takes away from his offensive prowess. It just does. Two of the hardest things to do in basketball, guard the ball and have the ball and try and score. And that's why LeBron couldn't stop the Warriors last year. He tried, to, he tried to guard Durant and be the best offensive player, and he had nothing in the tank in the fourth quarter. That's why James Harden, who's already a pathetic defender, was even more pathetic in game one because they made him dribble, 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 try and go one-on-one, 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 and he had nothing in the tank uh, for the defensive end at all. So Chris Paul can sit there and tell us we didn't do anything different. Like, that's funny because it looked, it looked totally different. James Harden can say, we just do what we do. Mike D'Antoni can say, we're, this is who we are. But you were different in game one to game two, not just playing harder. All right, longtime NBA veteran Ryan Hollins joins the show upcoming next. I'll get his thoughts. Uh, the road to ahead, excuse me, the road ahead is bound to take some unexpected turns. Farmers Insurance can help you understand your coverage options. With our practical knowledge gained from more than 90 years of experience, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Find agent at Farmers.com. We are Farmers. We're going to dig deep with Ryan Hollins. Deep. Get to both series. What the first two games mean for both series. How likely are the Warriors to turn it around at home? And are the Cavs done? And what's the reason that the Cavs just seem off? I'll ask Ryan Hollins. He joins us next. There's a better way to buy home insurance with Progressive's new Home Quote Explorer, too. Get a custom quote and a great rate all online. See for yourself how much you could save at Progressive.com. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Let's talk some hoops, shall we? Ryan Hollins joins us. Went to John Muir High School, Pasadena. Same high school that produced uh, Stacey Ogman, Jacques Vaughn, and, of course, Ryan Hollins. Went to UCLA. Played in the pros 10 years, now covering the NBA for ESPN. Let's start with what happened most recently, Ryan. What's your reaction to Houston dominating the Warriors last night? Well, they just saved face. (laughs) You know, everybody talked about sweep, getting the brooms out, the series is over. I I, I don't think they have a chance, but I I just didn't want to see them go out like that, man. The second round of the NBA playoffs was embarrassing. We saw three five ones and one sweep, man. I I just want to see a good. Let's watch some basketball. I, I tend to agree with you. Um, Steph seems to have struggled in games one and two. I think some of it is they're going at him on as many possessions as possible, trying to find the find who Steph's guarding. And go, that, that wears on anybody. Some think he's not healthy. He says he's healthy. What's your assessment of Steph Curry's offensive struggles? Well, one thing against game planning for Steph, it, he always amazed me for the best shooter we've ever seen ever in the game of the NBA, he finds a way to get open. And that's because he runs. He never stops moving. He's always getting screened for. He's got the ball in his hand. And he's hindered most by his movement, by his running. And obviously, sometimes the greatest defense is your offense. And every time they see him on the floor, they've got it. They've got the green light. And, Doug, you know this from playing ball. They're not forcing it at Steph. They're moving the ball, they're letting it come organically, and then it's full-out attack mode, and that's really hard for him to guard. Do you think he's healthy? No, he's not healthy. I mean, he's healthy enough to play, but he's not 
he's not feeling it. He doesn't have any pop in his step. You know, when you come back from injury, uh, you, you don't feel your pop yet. You're just kind of out there, and that's what you're seeing from Steph. But he's going to feel a whole lot better coming home to Oracle, man. You know that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't doubt that at all. I mean, like, look, P.J. Tucker hadn't hit shots like that most of the playoffs. He hit shots. We know Golden State turns it over a ton. They turned it over a bunch early, which allowed Houston to kind of to, to get a lead. Um, the, one of the interesting parts is that Kevin Durant continues to dominate, and yet um, it doesn't. You know, he dominates in Game One, dominates in Game Two, and yet the results are different. What's your assessment of Kevin Durant in terms of how he's actually playing? So let's break this down. Let's break this down, Doug. The team switched roles in Game One. You saw Harden taking a bulk of the shots, everybody else standing. Yep. And Houston took a page out of their game plan and said, well, okay, Kevin Durant's unstoppable. We're going to stay home. We'll play him straight up, and we're going to force him to drive. We're going to force him to finish on double moves. And when he catches the ball, we'll call these Durant moves, Doug, because he's seven feet and he shoots the ball at the top of his peak, and he's pretty much unguardable. So they're, they're crowding him. You saw them literally putting their hands on him and saying, Go get a dunk. Go drive to, to the basket, and we'll chase you from behind. Well, we're going to take your twos versus threes. And in game one, he was very efficient. He kept turn and shoot. Game two, he had to put the ball on the floor, and a lot of those other guys on Golden State didn't touch the ball, and that's not Golden State offense. Yeah, no, it's, I, saw, I saw the exact same thing. It's, it's, and look, we saw some of that even in the, in the Celtics series in that, you know, they were staying home a lot more kind of in game two when LeBron was going nuts. And, uh, and, and you know, at, at some point you also you get exhausted from going one-on-one. Like, I thought game one, James Harden's not a good defender, and he, sometimes he doesn't have energy yeah. for it. But then when you're going one-on-one every time down the court, you're going to have no energy to play defense, and then they're nope. attacking with the defensive end. <laughs> Doug, are you agreeing with me? Yeah. Because just... I've always felt like you were crazy with a couple of your takes, but I, we're seeing eye-to-eye today, my man. <laughs> which, which, which takes are crazy? You say a couple of crazy things, Doug. You you you've thrown them out. You've thrown them out, man. Go, so I'm, go. Hey, I'm go. just owning it, my man. Go. Where, where are they? You go. Go. Feel free. You know. Feel feel free. Um, okay. So, I I do get from the sound of your voice though that it becomes a different series once we go back to Oakland. Why is that? Your home. Uh, nothing like having your fans behind you. Uh, I know from playing against Golden State in the playoffs, they just run a little bit faster. The shot's going, you know, much better. Before you're turning your head, those dudes are racing down the floor. And just the pace of the game. Yeah, you know this. Watch the pace. Watch the movement. It's the difference between you playing on your heels and you attacking down the floor. You know, once, even if you score on those guys, they're checking the ball to half court and getting layups. And they've got guys that run and spread you thin on the defensive end. And at home, there's just, a, there's just a different energy, man. All the way back to, you know, Donnie Nelson and Baron Davis and those guys get up and down the floor. It's just something in that arena, man, that I can't explain. And, and I, I'd say also the officiating changed a little bit. You know, they, they did a good job of bumping Steph. Uh, and, and, you know, when he was trying to finish, they didn't make any of his finishes um, easy. Whereas when, you, when you're in Oakland, some of those fouls, some of those get called foul as opposed to letting him play like they did last night. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's so, like, the irony, like, I know there's a coach at home driving his hair out going, you're letting him drive to the basket. You know, and since we were young, it was always contest the jump shot. But both of these teams shoot at such a high clip. 
that you're almost forcing the drive. You're saying Harden, no step back. You're saying Curry, you know, no no step back, no crossover through the legs threes. And you're saying drive to the hole because your two is a worse shot than your contested three. This is a new generation of basketball. Isn't that amazing? Like, you're not old enough. I, I think you came in at the tail end of the disappearing mid-range game. They used to always... My era was like, man, yes. you got to develop your no, mid-range no, game, mid-range <laughs> game, mid-range game, right? Yes. <laughs> and then, and so now, now it's like, dude, don't we don't want really like you can take a mid-range jump shot, but you better make it, uh, uh, as for real. As, as opposed to get to get to the rim or kick out for a three. And then the other part is, and I pointed this out on the radio show going back to yesterday. The, I think the biggest change in the NBA is you go back for the last sixty years. A pick and mm-hmm. the idea of a ball screen or a pick and roll was to get a little on a big in the low post and throw the ball into a big, right? And yeah, then and then yeah. pl- and then you had to double team or that guy's going to go score. Now it's the opposite. Now you want the same ball screen, but it's because you want the big on the little out on the floor so that you had that yeah. mismatch and then you can get in the lane and create havoc. And Doug, I swear you're reading my notes because I also remember that situation. I said, well. I was a big who could always switch one through five. That's why I wore 15. I'm a two-by-one a little bit. I enjoyed guarding guards or whoever in the perimeter. And I said, why don't we switch more? And the coaches always get on me and say, well, we don't want the guard to have to box out the big man. But now when you pick your poison because these teams shoot at such a high clip, you gain rebound, you get out and run, and you make multiple efforts. And it's almost like a bad look. Like, like Doug, are we really saying that layups are bad looks in the NBA? <laughs> Like that's how well these teams score. Yeah, not not layups, post ups. But like like right, like it used to be working your post moves. Work, guy. Well, you got to work on your post moves. Now, like, yeah, post ups <laughs> actually aren't that efficient a shot unless you have a dunk, kick that sucker out. Like it's now yes. you now you play like the Warriors play out of the post where they're a great split team, right? You hit the guy in the post, yes. and now you go screen for each other. They almost never look to score in the post. No, 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 they don't. And the only one who right now which seemingly messed them up is when they got the ball to Durant. Yeah. That's the first time I ever saw Golden State start standing. And then I look on the other end, and Houston is flaring. They're cutting. They're diving. They, they've got all this action going on in Harden passing the basketball. We're going, what the heck is this? <laughs> What's the matter with the Cavs? You know what? Chemistry. I'm going to give it chemistry. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one big name. Kardashian. <laughs> no, we're not, not going to do that. But seriously, uh, Tristan Thompson is the missing piece. And I know we can talk about all this small ball NBA and shooting threes and what they do well and, and how it helps, but LeBron James is a transcendent talent. And in today's NBA, he allows you to play Tristan Thompson. And when Tristan Thompson's not on the floor – Cleveland's not that good of a basketball team. Why? He erases your mistakes defensively. He can show out and guard a guard in today's small ball generation of basketball. And when you chuck up a bad shot or you don't have anything going, he can create offensive rebounds. So LeBron James allows Tristan Thompson to play, and he also makes Kevin Love a whole lot more comfortable on the floor. I played with Kev. And I know Kev doesn't want to be down there blocking shots and, you know, guarding guys on a block. You know, he wants to run in and get some free rebounds. And, he, you know, he wants to worry about scoring. And now he's got to do more than expected. 
and you see Boston really taking advantage of that. Yeah, I, I would say, though, that as much as Kevin Love doesn't want to play the five, he likes to play the four. Um, the fact is that he a lot against a lot of teams he has a better mismatch when he's playing the five as to when he's playing the four to where you know he can I mean that's one of the reasons that they couldn't play Valanciunas against him in Toronto is because he's playing twenty five feet from the basket and Valanciunas wants to guard the rim. I, I the one thing I think they might want to consider doing is establishing Kevin kind of at the low post, playing through him a little bit more as opposed to you keep playing through LeBron James and kind of like we talked about with Harden in game one and Durant in game two, you you get exhausted, you get worn out, and you get nothing from them at the defensive end and the team starts to stand. Is, Is that a way? How do they create more offense? Because it doesn't feel like George Hill can get a step and everybody else is just kind of a shooter that they have that they're putting out there. Do you, do you play through Kevin Love? What, what's the adjustment you make outside of just playing Tristan Thompson? See, see this is where I say that you're crazy because I, I don't think you post up Kevin Love. Kevin is a crafty scorer, and in this series, it's not Valanciunas. It's Al Horford who's actually comfortable, you know, screening out, chasing a guy off the three-point line, guarding different positions. This is a poor matchup for Kevin. But I do agree, you've got to put him in positions to be successful. You can throw Kevin Love at the elbow, and let LeBron cut, run some offense through him. I agree, you've got to get some type of playmaking ability out of somebody other than LeBron. And, you know, when Kevin gets the ball on the block, he's one of the greatest passes I've ever played with. You know, I remember diving to the basket and him throwing that thing behind his back, you know, and he'd be for a nice dunk or out in transition. So, you know, maybe take a page out of Golden State's book, like you said earlier, Doug, and, you know, run some split action, get some cutting going, you know, just let LeBron rest a little bit. But I don't think Kevin Love on the block as a scorer, as a scorer really helps you because they're poor matchups. And if you notice, you know, when they switch out, Jalen Brown guard them. You know, Tatum can guard him on the block. Marcus Smart. How is so that, how is that possible? Kind of up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. How is that possible? How can Kevin Love be guarded in the low post by Jalen Brown? That seems that 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 doesn't that seem has he gotten has he regressed as a post player because he's worked so much in his perimeter game? Like, dude, Jalen Brown should not be able to guard Kevin Love down low, should he? Well, let's not forget. Also, Kevin's not an incredible athlete, so he's got to beat you with craft. And these guys are are allowed to put their hands on him. You know, they're getting physical with them. You know, what they're doing is they're forcing Kevin Love to his baseline spin, and he's going up with his left hand. And because you're not a, when you're not as strong to your left hand, Doug, you use your physicality. And those guys have had a year to mature in the league, and they're strong enough and athletic enough that they're kind of contesting that left hand jump hook of Kevin, you know, seeing it getting put back in his face. And, you know, the NBA playoffs are about efficiency. And if you're not scoring at a high clip, you're not defending, what are you doing on the floor? So he's got to find ways because the jumper is not going to work against those guys, and he's not necessarily jumping through the roof against them. So, you know, maybe he's got to be more patient. Maybe he's got to establish something else, but that's never really been Kevin's bread and butter. But I, I, I hear you. you got to get something going to the basket. I think there's crafty ways of doing it, and I don't think just giving him the ball on the block He's that good to get it done, even against a Brown or a Tatum. But I, I hear you, Doug. How's Boston doing this? I mean, I, listen, I I get that you still have and you have Jalen, but he's still really young. You got Jason Tatum. He's still really young. Like the, the playoffs is supposed to be about veteran dudes, and you don't have Kyrie. You don't have Gordon Hayward, and you're you're up two games to none. How are they doing this? Credit Brad Stevens. This is where I credit him. 
because we haven't seen a close game from these teams. And in a close game is where you really see how young they are. In a tight finish, when you got to figure out where your offense is coming from, now you're seeing where's Kyrie Irving? Who's going to manufacture a shot? What they've done, when you watch these games, they're punching those third quarters so hard as if it's an end of the game. And they're giving themselves a 10-plus point buffer. You know, they're coming back because, you know, they don't want to wait until the end of the game. So amazing strategy from Brad Stevens and guys like Al Horford and Smart, who have been there before, telling the young guys, look, we got to go now. We cannot wait. We're not that good of a team. And LeBron's so far behind, it's kind of like, you know, there's not much he can do in these first two games. Ryan Hollins joining us. All right, so uh, now we go back to Cleveland. The home crowd, the ability to be physical. Do we go back 2-2 when we go to Boston, or is Boston able to get the 3-1 lead in your mind? No, I think we get 2-2. They're a different team on the road. They're youth shows. And I tell you one thing, this is a do-or-die type next two games for Cleveland. And the hardest thing that I've ever seen and I've ever been a part of, and I remember veterans like you know Paul Pierce and, and Dirk and Garnett telling me, hey, young solid, this is going to be a different game because their backs are against the wall. And that fight-or-flight type of human instinct kicks in. Either you give up and you lay down like Toronto did, or you fight with all your might. And that's what you're going to see from Cleveland in a sense of a closeout game. So I see them making this thing 2-2. And honestly, Doug, I don't know how you feel about this. I think this will be LeBron's greatest feat and greatest challenge ever if he gets by this Boston team. Even though they don't have Hayward and Kyrie Irving, is it because they're down two games to none and because of how they looked in one and two, that's how you feel? I look more at his Cleveland team right now. I look more at that depleted team. I look more at the lack of chemistry. I look at more of what they lost and what they didn't gain, you know, in these trades because they brought in young players. They they didn't they brought in some spring chickens. They didn't bring those Riley old vets in who'd be, you know, going and getting it done playoff time. You know, I bet they could have used some D Wade now, at least for one game. <laughs> no, I, I, I it's it, I actually it's funny you bring up D Wade because while the trades help them in the regular season, it's clearly hurting them in the postseason. I just don't know if they could have gotten to this point in the postseason if not for having a you know considering the path that they were on and the way in which LeBron was feeling and playing and like look he had the lowest plus minus in the league for seven weeks there or six weeks there uh, obviously he wasn't but it's crazy because well though those guys weren't helping him then they probably would have helped him more now is that that's that's fair right that's what you're getting at very very fair and and what message let's let's look a little forward because we got to do this as part of the job what message as a front office if you're LeBron's team, what does that send to LeBron that does not care about tomorrow, that wants to win for the now, that needs a championship or bust because a good regular season and even an MVP doesn't mean much at all to him staying in Cleveland. So I, I, I see a message to LeBron saying, we're gearing up with some youth for tomorrow when you go ahead and bounce because we're expecting you to leave. But some of that is LeBron. LeBron's done that, right? I mean, LeBron has created this where he, by by allowing the possibility of leaving to be the story of the season, all he has to do is come out and say, like, I ain't leaving. This is my home. I'm staying here. You guys fix it. None of this would have none of this would have happened. So I I'm not disagree. I completely agree with you that Cleveland is positioning themselves of, hey, we got some youth. 
hey, we still got that draft pick. There is a the sun will still rise in the east and set in the west, even yeah. if he leaves. But a good portion of this is created by by the ambiguity that LeBron has approached the situation with. No, I agree. And, and Doug, we're going to look back on LeBron's career as this Michael Jordan documentary is coming out, and we're going to appreciate LeBron, the businessman, the behind the scenes. We're going to appreciate what he learned from the decision and the strategic way that he leaves Cleveland this time to where you're almost telling him, oh, LeBron, you got to leave. But guys like me, you dig into the process and say, LeBron, you planted these seeds of leaving a long time ago. You know, but to the common eye, you're going to say, oh, he's got to go. It just makes sense. There's no reason for him to be at Cleveland. Nah, LeBron set this up completely all the way, man. It was, it was masterful. This was, this was, a, this was a masterpiece. This is, this is amazing. You're going to look back on, oh, man. This guy is a businessman. Not only the, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, but the greatest businessman that we've seen actually play the game. Does he come to L.A.? Yeah, man, I've I've said championship or L.A., and, it, and it's safe to say that only option right now is looking like the L.A. is the Lakers. Ryan, dude, you're doing a great job uh, killing it over at ESPN. Really appreciate you coming on with us. Oh, man, anytime, Doug. I'm a big fan. When I think you're crazy, I'll just I'll just text Ryan and tell him, you know, I want to argue with Doug a little bit, man. So, man, I, I appreciate your work, brother, man. Keep inspiring. All right, uh, pleasure's mine. Um... I can give you my cell phone number. I, I get, I get. That's a weird. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, it's Doug Gottlieb show, Fox Sports Trader. That's a weird deal. He specifically did not ask for my cell phone number. Music. He wants only to text through you. You are the third person to go through. I mean, look, Doug. We have a long-standing relationship that goes back a couple of days. You just can't quite compete with that type of connection. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's get to David Gascon. Find out what else is uh, going on in the world of sports. By the way, online car shopping can, can be confusing. Not anymore with True Price and True Car. Now you can know the exact price you pay for your next car. This is True Car. You enjoy more confident car buying experience. What do you got, David? Uh, we'll start things off with the National Football League. Doug Ruben Foster's ex-girlfriend testifying in court today said that she lied about Foster hitting her and also made up some of the accusations as part of a money scheme. So stay tuned on all of that. Meanwhile, HBO's Hard Knocks taking its series to Ohio. They'll be covering the Cleveland Browns leading up to this 2018 campaign. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball, one game has gone final. Lined into the left field corner. It is a fair ball. going to roll to the wall. Justin Turner is back. He's knocked in five today. And the Dodgers now lead it. Seven to nothing. And that was courtesy of AM570 LA Sports. That was the final score. Dodgers still nine games under 500. Turner with the five runs driven in. Kenta Maeda went eight full at eight strikeouts and just two hits against. Nationals catcher Matt Waiters underwent surgery today on a hamstring. The catcher was hitting just 231 this season, but there's no timetable for return. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, no NBA action tonight, but Celtics head coach Brad Stevens says that Shane Larkin is not even close to returning to the team just yet. He's got a bad shoulder. Thanks, David. You bet. Appreciate it. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Guess who's ready to be the face of America's team? I will tell you next. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice price. True Car shows what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Ramos, where you been, man? Have a little trouble with a little pinched nerve, Doug. You know how that is, I'm sure. No. No, you don't. <laughs> okay, maybe not. No. Yeah. Pinched nerve where? It's in 
my back, like the the chiropractor said, it had to do with my ribs going to my back, and it's pinched. They always something. the chiropractors always say your ribs. Do they really? Yeah, and they always say they got to put you on it. Well, listen, we got to do an X ray. We got to do an X ray. They didn't give me an X ray, so we got to do an X ray. Yeah. Then we got to put you on a, on a plan here. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna you come in tomorrow. You come in every day this week, and then we're gonna you're gonna come back once a week. Is that about right? That's well, you probably know that part of it since you played basketball and we're always into that type of stuff. Yeah, chiropractor is one of those. Well, it's kind of a doctor, right? Yeah. Like, right, guy is choking on a guy. Guy appears to not be breathing on a plane, and you stand up and go, "Is there a doctor on the plane?" Like a chiropractor is like, kinda, <laughs> right? Yeah. On the other hand, if you are in pain, like if you do have a rib out or you have a pinched nerve or something, there is no one on earth you'd rather see than a chiropractor. But chiropractors need to be seen in order to make that money, right? And so, uh, yeah. They have a tendency to put you on a plan, if you will. Well, I'll be back on Monday, if that means anything to anybody. Yes, yes, it it does. I like chiropractors, I really do. Let's play a game. Game time! This is game time. It's game time. On the Doug Gottlieb Show. The road ahead is down to take some unexpected turns. Farmers Insurance can help you understand your coverage options with our practical knowledge gained from more than 90 years of experience. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Find an agent at Farmers.com. We are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. What's the game today, Doug? Uh, let's take a peek. We got Guess Who. So we'll start things off in the National Football League. In particular, Dallas. No Tony Romo, no Des Bryant, and now no Jason Witten. So guess who is ready to step up as the leader of your 2018 Dallas Cowboys? I'm going to go with Dak Prescott. Nope. No, it is not. It's Ezekiel Elliott. He spoke for the first time just a couple days ago. In fact, he said, quote, it's a good opportunity for the younger guys to step up and do their thing. And then when he was further asked on what his goals were for 2018, Elliott said just to come out and make a playoff run and hopefully win the Super Bowl, end quote. To do your thing, huh? Whatever that may be. No suspension, I guess. Take care of the football. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to go out and do my thing. Okay. You go do your thing. You do your thing. Uh, I told him to do his thing. He went and he did his thing. That was me who told him to do his thing. He did his thing. <laughs> now we got a thing. We'll see what okay, happens then. in the NFC East. Speaking of the NFC East, guess who thinks the Eagles went, quote, a little overboard with sports science when Chip Kelly was their head coach? Probably Lane Johnson. Oh, yeah. man. It's a job well done. Lane Johnson was actually speaking just the other day, and he said, quote, we major in sports science, which is a good thing. We still do it here. But I think we kind of went overboard with that. I think a good way to put it is we majored in the minors instead of focusing on some of the main points that we needed to do, end quote. He was speaking on Steve Austin's podcast on philly.com. Okay. Um, do, do I think that, that, that Chip Kelly was a little bit of a fanatic in terms of the diet uh, your rest, and sure. Um, on the other hand, I, I I actually believe in a ton of it. On the other hand, this is the everything in moderation sort of philosophy <laughs> right. that Lane Johnson should. The problem is like, hey, dude, had you not gotten suspended for PED use, they might have won more games. He did win 20 games the first two years with not much at the quarterback position, right? Mm-hmm. Nick Foles is one of those two quarterbacks you won a Super Bowl with. So... Um, I, you know, I, I, there was a bunch of breakdowns. There was, an, there was the fight with him and Howie Roseman, not the physical fight. It's the essential fight for power to which Chip Kelly won, but he lost because 
Howie Roseman had enough of his own guys there. Uh, I think the whole thing is interesting. I do think that, you know, Lane Johnson's doing a ton of talking on these podcasts, and I think he's a really good player. But I think some of the stuff, it's like, even the thing he said was like, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to talk about it, but their coach, you know, Belichick talked trash and their owner talked trash. Well, you did talk about it, so now you have to go and, here's what I think of Lane Johnson. I think he's just smart enough but dumb enough to be manipulated by a coach who's like, hey, their owner was talking trash to our owner. Their coach is talking trash to our coaching staff. And Lane's like, yeah, let's go out and beat them, huh, guys? First team defense, okay. You know, right? <laughs> the program? He was a little bit of the program. <laughs> Spit in his mouth, get it right back. Yes. He took some additional shots, too, saying that he couldn't believe Chip Kelly got rid of some of the skilled players like Deshaun Jackson and also Shady McCoy, who went on to the Buffalo Bills. So, add to that, and he continues to talk. Well, uh, that's that, look, that was the problem there, is that I, I Chip had a reason for doing it. Um, you know, Kiko got hurt. And so he was never really the same. I think he had a, a financial reason to do it. And I think he was also trying to get control of the team as opposed to Howie Roseman kind of having control of those guys, had bringing his own guys. And the second Howie Roseman got back control, he got rid of Chip's guys. So I think there's a lot of infighting there. Um, but I also think Lane Johnson does a ton of talking without any sort of accountability. More enabled now that they're a Super Bowl champ? Yes, of course. Got to be. Switch on over to the Harwood Court in the NBA. Guess who is unsure if they're ready to join the NBA next season? Join the NBA? Yes. Oh, Luka Doncic. There you go. That's right. He was quoted as saying, I'm not sure if there are last two games in Europe just yet. When he was talking about the press conference of the EuroLeague Final Four, we'll have to make a decision at the end of the season, but perhaps. He's 19 years old and he plays for Real play, Madrid. He don't want to play for Sacramento Kings. That's basically it, right? He's like, I've seen Sacramento. No, thank you. No, I just... I think that team is 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 considered to be a mess. Remember, their owner is famous for wanting them to play four on five with a guy cherry picking. <laughs> right. Like you guys do know, that's what he did with his yeah. the, he did with his girls AAU team was you know they they competed like nationally playing four on five and they just throw it up and she would lay the ball in. He actually wanted their D League team to do it. The coach at the time, Sharif Abdul Rahim, re- refused. They fired Sharif Abdul Rahim. He's talked about doing the NBA, so. They got some quirky stuff going on up there. Is there any chance that Phoenix takes him at number one? Yeah. Yeah, his his Slovenian national team coach is the new head coach of the Phoenix Suns. Absolutely a chance. All right. Switch on over. Go to the diamond now. Guess who in Major League Baseball has been told their job is safe despite a poor start to the regular season? Dave Roberts. Yeah. Number one. Team President Andrew Friedman said just a couple days ago, there's no doubt in my mind that he's the right guy to lead this team going forward. The way our minds work is not to assign blame to anyone at this point. It's to hunker down altogether and try to solve problems. They won today, 7 Well, big big part of the problem was Justin Turner was out. He's back. Uh, He had the bases loaded, I think, first time he was up. And they end up uh, they end up getting a big win. So getting your best players healthy would help. No Corey Seager. No Corey Seager the rest of the year. Clayton Kershaw's been hurt. Kelly Jensen was brutal to start the year. Right. So they've had some other issues. But how you handle adversity? Can the team bounce back and still make the playoffs? That'll determine whether or not he keeps his job to next year. Last one. We'll get this thing going back to the hardwood court. Guess who's proposing legislation to the NCAA that would expand the men's basketball tournament from 68 teams to 72? Uh, the ACC. That is correct. Yeah. 
Miami Hurricanes head coach Jim Laranaga also said there are always bubble teams that could have and should have been invited to the big dance and after they went on a big run, but they didn't get invited. 68 of 351 D1 teams make the tournament. That's 19%. One more, I'll give you 20%. Yeah. That's game, huh? Game time. This is game time on the Doug Gottlieb Show. The argument is there's so many Division One teams that why don't you create more space? problem is that the ones that they've added, they're not getting a shot at getting the tournament. There are things I absolutely expect people to say, but they shouldn't say them. We'll get to it next. What up, Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Do, 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 do. There are certain things that you want people to say about you. But you shouldn't say yourself, even if nobody's really offended by it. It's inarguable. And in fact, it's uh, it's expected. Dak Prescott has has just recently done this. Um, he, He was asked if he felt any stress with the potential contract extension on the horizon. He said, not any pressure. I want to be the best I can. I want to be the best quarterback the Dallas Cowboys ever had. So when I go in each and every day, it's just about being the best player I can be. All that stuff comes to you when you play the game well. Great answer. Great answer. Perfect answer. Except the idea of being the best quarterback the Dallas Cowboys ever had is such a dangerous proposition. Look, the most underrated quarterback the Dallas Cowboys ever had is a Hall of Famer who broadca- will broadcast the Super Bowl for Fox. It's Troy Aikman. Right? When we talk about all-time great quarterbacks, does anyone ever say Troy Aikman? Have you ever heard some go like, you know, there's Marino, there's Montana, there's John Elway, there's Peyton Manning, there's Tom Brady, there's Aaron Rodgers, right? Brett Favre. Have you ever in your life heard anyone go, there's Troy Aikman, no one. Like Troy Aikman was quarterback for the most dominant team in the modern era of football. Right? Next to maybe the San Francisco 49ers, right? They won what? Three. They won three Super Bowls. Incredibly, in a time in which accuracy was not as well regarded as it is now, time in which they didn't throw as much. Back when 3,000 yards was 4,000 yards, he threw for 3,000 yards like five out of six years. Uh, His career was shortened because of concussions. So he finished up at just 34 years old. Troy Aikman was a great quarterback. Right? It's crazy. He was the number one overall pick. The Cowboys were an abject disaster when he first got there. He won three Super Bowls. He's a Super Bowl MVP. He's a six-time Pro Bowler. He's a Walter Payton Man of the Year. And yet somehow he's underrated. And I know part of it is the statistical dominance isn't what – it doesn't look the same then as it would now. Right? Like it's just really hard. You're like, well, he doesn't even have a two-to-one – You know, touchdowns, interceptions. Like, it was just different then. And, yeah, they had Emmitt Smith. And, yeah, they had Michael Irvin. 
and they had Harper, and they had Jay Novacek. They had Moose. Like, they had dudes everywhere. But he gave you leadership and toughness and played his best in the most important games. Troikman's a great quarterback. Now, I, I wouldn't take him. He's not my favorite quarterback of all time. Like, I was always a Montana, like Montana above all others. Um, but he was great. Anyway, I don't know if, if Aikman or Roger Staubach's probably seen as the greatest Cowboy quarterback ever. Right? Tony Romo is the most, you know, they went, ten, you know, several years after losing Troy Aikman looking for the next great quarterback, and that became Tony Romo. And Tony Romo has gone from underrated when he played to probably overrated now. Like, I love Tony Romo. I was fighting for Tony Romo's name back when Tony Romo was the quarter. I was the one going like, dude, he doesn't have very good defense. He doesn't have a very good line. He's running around back there making plays, and he helped make Des Bryant. And when they didn't have running game, all these things, and people talk about the Romo coaster, but he did turn it over a lot. He did drop the ball in Seattle when they would have won a playoff game. Yes, Des did catch the ball based upon how the rules are now, but that was a fourth down play, right? They're like, there's a bunch of other stuff that goes into the Romo thing. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he becomes the greatest modern-day quarterback. Right? Because Roger Staubach won two Super Bowls, also man of the year, also the passer ratings leader for four, four out of the ten years in the 70s. Like, he was what Montana was in the 80s, Staubach was in the 70s. He just was. Plus Staubach, U.S. Navy. And if you know anything about Roger Staubach, like he's a champion in business, which I know you don't factor in, but like this guy is beyond reproach. Like he's the dude. So the likelihood, I look at, at, I was, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. And it was, it was a, we were kind of talking about the Central Florida thing, which is more of an annoyance now than being cute previously. Um, you know, Nick Saban never talks about being the greatest coach in Alabama history. You ever notice that? He, he never, he knows that there are certain people that are going to go to their deathbed, many people that have gone to their deathbed, closing their eyes, believing that the Bear, Bear Bryant, is the greatest coach ever, 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 ever. Right? So you'll never hear Saban's like, I'm not going to challenge that. Now, of course, Nick Saban's a better coach than. Bear Bryant. Of course he is. It's a different era. It's it's much more about recruiting. On the other hand, it's also, you know, the intricate game coaching, but he has way more assistance. I, I do think that there are certain things he doesn't play a hand in as much. The offense, for example. On the other hand, he pulled the trigger and changed quarterbacks at halftime of the national championship game, and it worked. It's almost inarguable that Nick Saban, and it's not just that he won one at Alabama. Remember, he won at LSU as well. I mean, he's the greatest coach in modern football, and he's got to be better than the Bear, Bear Bryant. But he's never going to say it. He can let people like us or local radio hosts, he let them, or the SEC Network, they can argue it out. But the rest of us, we you know, we can talk about it. He never does. So the the thing about, and I and it's not a big deal with Dak, but it is a deal with Dak, which is like you should 
All right, dude. A couple of things you should never talk about. Never talk about money because that makes people lose their mind. Like, don't ever say you're underpaid. We all know you're underpaid. I, I don't know how good Dak Prescott is. And this year will be a great test because there will be an extra guy in the box. There will be. But um, I don't. I, I sit here and tell you, I don't know how good. Do you know how good Dak Prescott is? Remember, when he had a great rookie season, there was they were still spoon-feeding him. Guys were wide open because he had Zeke Elliott. Des Bryant was still more in his prime than he is now. They played a soft schedule. And even then, they came up short in the playoffs, and though he brought them back against the Green Bay Packers, you couldn't win one home game? Last year, he failed and struggled to connect with Des Bryant, Bryant's gone. Witten's gone. Like, look, I don't think Witten or Bryant are nearly what they used to be. And Witten, oh, that dude's washed up. But there becomes a lot more pressure on you when you're playing for your next paycheck, when you're trying to prove you belong. I kind of think the last thing you should talk about is, you know, I like to be the best Dallas Cowboys quarterback of all time. How about let's just get back to getting the playoffs? How about let's just get back to being a guy you can count on. How about let's just be the best Dallas Cowboys quarterback in that locker room? Because you go back two years ago, and even when they were propelling towards the playoffs, there were people like yours truly saying, you know, you should probably play Romo because Romo gives you a much better chance to win now. Dak is three or four years from now. This, by the way, is three or four years from now. It is. This is that moment three or four years from now. So I'm I'm interested. I don't love what they've done. It's a different di- different way of doing it. I, I don't particularly, I sit there and I look at the Dallas Cowboys and I'm like, hmm, you are dependent upon a team to, and look, maybe they're trying to build the opposite. You know, we talked about this several times with several different, much smarter than me, football people, including Sean Payton at the Super Bowl. Most teams, most teams, their base defense is now a nickel. You no longer need the traditional middle linebacker. Run stuffing is not nearly as big a deal as it used to be. That's because it's 70-30 in terms of pass-run league. It's not that Zeke can't catch it out of the backfield, but you look at the Cowboys and it feels like they're a team that's going to go like, I know everybody else throws it, we're going to be the one team that mainly runs it. Because otherwise, you're going with Alan Hearns. You're going with uh, Terrence Williams. You're going with ooh, Blake Jarwin or Jeff Swaim as your tight ends. If Blake Jarwin, who I actually know because he went to Oklahoma State, if Blake Jarwin or Jeff Swaim would walk up to you and go, hey, I'm, I'm Jeff Swaim. Anything? And you go, I'm Jeff Swaim, Dallas Cowboys. You go, Sure you are. Right? They got Tavon Austin, who no one's found a way to use and use effectively in the return game, in the slot. Like, it'll be fine. But it's the, I like the Rams have as, as inventive an offensive mind as you will find, and they couldn't find a way to use Tavon Austin effectively. 
So it's not that I hate Tavon Austin, by the way, he had 59 carries last year. You can use him. You're going to use him all over the field. But if you think he's going to help you in the pass game, he, he caught 13 balls last season. 13. So my guess is that they're going to be a, they got a running back that can run it. They got a wide receiver that can run it. They got a quarterback that can run it. And they got some guys that are okay at catching it. But man, that is not a star studded group at wide receiver. That's going to be dependent upon a quarterback that either has an offense that creates openings or you got to throw them open. He ain't going to do that. So before you get into the, hey man, and I, and I honestly don't think he meant anything by it. But let us talk about, hey, he's got a chance to be the best Dallas Cowboy quarterback of all time. How, how about we win a playoff game first? Just one. Let's, let's, let's do that. Because you're chasing ghosts that aren't yet ghosts, Staubach and Troy Aikman, who have a combined five Super Bowl rings. Let, let's just be viable here. The road ahead is bound to take some unexpected turns. Farmers Insurance can help you understand your coverage options with our practical knowledge gained from more than 90 years of experience. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Find an agent at Farmers.com. We are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, LeBron and Ty Lue, they, they knew what the fatal flaw to this team was. We'll get to that, cover some NBA hoop at uh, half past the hour. But coming up next, Tom Verducci joins the show. Dodgers won today, but are they in trouble? Um, is Shohei Otani the best player in Major League Baseball? And are we seeing the ceiling for the Yankees? Bunch of baseball to get to. We'll do so next. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice price. True Car shows what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Mm, 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 mm. Tom Verducci just won an Emmy, didn't he? I, I, I have to, I think I have to introduce him as Emmy Award winning Tom Verducci, don't I? Right, like, and that's got to be the coolest thing ever to be recognized by your peers in the industry. Time Emmy Award-winning Tom Verducci joins us in the Doug Gottlieb Show. How are you? Uh, I'm really well after that intro. Thanks for that. I, I, that's, it's earned. <laughs> I, like, I'm all all I can do is report. I'm just reporting facts here. Um, what is that? What is that like for you? I mean, like, look, you've done a lot of things uh, to receive that sort of acclaim. What's it been like? That crazy, man. This is my third Emmy, and you're talking to a guy who, when I first started out, all I wanted to do was write. So the idea of actually winning a, uh, an Emmy, that wasn't even on the radar. That wasn't even a dream. So for this to happen three times now is, is amazing. I had a conversation with a Major League Baseball player uh, last night. And it's funny, Sam Miller, who's a writer for ESPN, wrote that uh, – that Mike Trout might be having the best season in the history of baseball. And anyway, the conversation I was having with Major League Baseball players like, hey, Mike Trout's unbelievable, but Shohei Otani has to be considered the best player of Major League Baseball considering he's doing st- he's, he's playing like all of us played in high school, right? Pitching <laughs> and hitting and doing both incredibly well. What, what is the sport saying about Otani and how good he actually is at 
either or both combined? Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, typically you have to go to Williamsport to see somebody who can do this, right? Uh, and it's funny you mentioned that because Logan Morrison of the Twins did say that he thinks Otani's the best player on the planet because exactly what you said, he can do both pitch and and hit. And listen, it's not like he's just a journeyman guy at both of them. You're talking about a guy on the mound whose fastball, he can throw as hard as Noah Syndergaard and Luis Severino. And at the plate, when you look at his exit velocity, it's about the same as Bryce Harper's. So think about that, a guy who throws as hard as Syndergaard and hits as hard as Harper. That's not supposed to happen on a 90-foot field. You know, you see that on the 60-foot field in Little League. So, you know, everybody, I think his peers especially, more than anybody, because they know how hard just doing one of those is, I think everybody's been blown away by the fact that, A, he's doing this at all, and, B, he's excelling at it. What does it say, though, about the Angels and their pitching staff? Bullpen is, was depleted because the starting was so bad at the start of the year, but the bullpen has been so bad that, you know, they still get swept by by the Astros, even or not, I think whether it was two or three to the Astros, even though they have two of arguably the best players on the planet. Yeah, well, you hit it. I mean, it's about their starting pitching, right? And then you have to go to a six-man because, you know, Otani did pitch once a week over there. It would be asking him too much you know, the pitch in a five-man rotation. So they're doing the right thing, but as we said going into this season, can they hold up in terms of their bullpen when you're asking the bullpen to work as much as they have? I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Typically the answer is you better have a ton of inventory to make that plan work. Um, but so far they've been okay considering they had some injuries there. But for me, Doug, I, I think the key is the Angels are going to have to let off some of the strings that they're holding down Otani with and let them loose a little bit. I'll give you an example. The other day, they were playing the Twins, and Paul Molitor, managing the game, knew with Trout on third as the winning run that Otani was not an option for Mike Sosha as a pinch hitter. So he walked two guys intentionally to get to Jeffrey Marte. Now, Otani should be taking that at bat, but because he's pitching the next day, Sochi doesn't want to have him hit at all. He keeps him in the bubble wrap, right? If yeah. I'm the other manager in the dugout, you've made it too easy on me. You at least have to have this guy in the dugout, bat in his hands, helmet on, make the other guy think that that guy is an option because at some point he should be an option for you off the bench the day before or day after he pitches. Justin Turner comes back, promptly has three hits. The Dodgers win 7 nothing. granted against the Marlins, who, though Derek Jeter says he wants to be competitive, no one actually believes him. Um, so we take it with a grain of salt. But we stare up at the Dodgers. This is the worst start since 1958, I believe. Uh, yep. It is is not good. And I understand, like, look, injuries, you take away your three best players, Sager, uh, Kershaw, and until this point, Turner, You're not. No, very few teams are going to be good. How recoverable, though, is this start considering they're not getting Sager back? Uh, I'd be a little worried about him, for, without a doubt. I think Turner, obviously, and not just because he had a big day today. Besides his bat and glove, man, he is the heart and soul of that team. If you're around that team, you can see how much energy and passion he brings. He he does lift other players around him. I know that sounds sort of like cliche or pie-in-the-sky stuff, but if you're around the Dodgers, you see it, you feel it, and they'll all tell you that. You're a numbers guy, and you're go- you're, you're you're giving me feelings? <laughs> No, believe me, this guy is a glue guy, and you still need those guys, absolutely. My concern here is their defense. Their defense has been terrible. I mean, they were the best defensive team in baseball last year. Now, a big part of that is, you mentioned Seager's out. They haven't had Turner until the last couple of games. You know, Taylor, to me, is a better center fielder than he is a shortstop. 
Um, and you know, a lot of their problems have been the fact that they're just not catching the ball. They're not in places where they're getting the out that they did last year. And let's face it, too, when you cut $53 million off your payroll, it's going to show up somewhere. And so far, for me, it's showing up in the bullpen. It's not as deep, not as good as it was last year. Uh, Birdlander was nasty last night in Anaheim, and the numbers so far this year are insane. What, what's happened? What's, how has he been able to recalibrate? Because he was, he, it did not end as well in Detroit as, for the most part, the body of work was. What's he done to kind of fix what ailed him? You're right. You have to go back a few years. He had that core muscle surgery. And even though he came back and he didn't miss a start because he had it over the winter, he told me he was in pain the whole year. He just wasn't right. Everything was down. Velocity was down. Spin rates were down. It took him a good 18 months to really get back. And by then he had sort of retrained himself mechanically. So that took another year. And once it clicked in for him, and it's really the second half of the 15th season, uh, he man, he has been locked in. You're talking about a guy, Doug, right now. I think he's throwing the ball as well as he ever has. You're talking about a Cy Young winner. He's thrown no hitters, but the way the ball's coming out of his hand, the way he can just carve up people with fastballs, curveballs, whatever he wants to do, he's got that cutter now too. I think he's pitching at his best right now. It's crazy to say that, but it's true. And I think also getting out of Detroit helped him. You know, I, just as getting out of Pittsburgh helped Garrett Cole. They got a great vibe there in Houston. You know, you don't have to be the guy the way that those two guys had been other places. So they got a good thing going, no question about it. Three-time Emmy Award winner Tom Verducci joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. I don't know if you saw this stat. Javier Baez had 130 plate appearances, hasn't walked once, right? Like he's in, he's the embodiment of the Chicago Cubs. They will, <laughs> they will swing it at anything. And I understand in baseball now. It's about home runs and and you know strikeouts aren't that big a thing, but have have the Cubs gone overboard in not paying attention to the strikeouts? Uh, a little bit, considering that team. I mean, they don't have a lot of athleticism. They don't steal bases. They do need to hit the ball out of the park to win games. It seems like so. I, you know, I think it's endemic throughout baseball, as you mentioned. Somebody's got to explain to me why, if you're talking about pitchers, it's a great thing to have strikeouts, right? But if you're talking about hitters, you say, ah, it's just another out. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, there has to be a downside to it. And for the Cubs, I think you're right. I think the last couple of years, when it came time to moving a runner, especially getting somebody in from third base, they've not done that well. So that's, that's part of what they signed up for with the type of hitters they have. Manny Machado, where does he play at the end of the season? I still think there's a chance he could get to the Dodgers in July. You know, it's not going to happen before then. Typically, you're not going to see trades until teams get on the other side of the amateur draft. And also because the Dodgers do want to reset their tax rate, you know, they can do that with Machado if they wait half of a season. So you're talking the end of July. Um, If I were the Orioles, though, I mean, listen, we all know they're out of it. I think even they know they're out of it. I would put them on the market a lot sooner, see what I could get in June, maybe early July. Um, they have to cash that chip in for me, I think, um, rather than play it out um, just to get a draft pick from Manny Machado. But, yeah, I mean, the guy who can play short and third, difference maker in the lineup, uh, he's going to be dealt. And I still think the Dodgers are a good possibility. What What is the final number for Bryce Harper next year? <laughs> I think it starts with a four. Really? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, you think about the money that Stanton got, you know, and you're talking about mid-30s per year for a guy who wasn't even on the free agent market. Now you put Bryce out there at younger. 
in an auction atmosphere, the Phillies and the Braves, besides your big market teams, Cubs, Yankees, Dodgers, will all be in it. So you will have multiple bidders. You know, Hall of Fame track at 25, 26, you can go 12 years with Bryce Harper. So, yeah, I think the number is going to start with a four. Wow. Wow. Um, Robbie Cano, you have a Hall of Fame vote. Uh, Robbie Cano is probably going to have 3,000 hits. He's Right now he's a career 300 hitter. Uh, we've seen other guys who've been popped for PEDs, not in the post-steroid era, but have been popped for PEDs, become uh, uh, become uh, Hall of Famers. What does this do to his ho- eventual Hall of Fame candidacy? As we sit here today, Doug, he's not getting in the Hall of Fame. I mean, nobody who's who's tested positive in this testing era, you know, not that there's been that many, but you talk about Palmero and Manny Ramirez, they haven't gotten in, they haven't gotten close. Um, now I have to offer you a caveat here that he's got five more years on his contract and then five more years to wait till he's on a ballot. So you're talking about 10 years down the road. Uh, what does the electorate look like 10 years from now? What do they think about guys failing drug tests when there was rules in place? You know, that's more difficult to guess where we're at at that point. And who knows who gets in between now and then. But as we stand here today, he just cost himself the Hall of Fame. He probably cost the Mariners a playoff spot this year. You know, I know it's $12 million, but to me, the reputation, he ain't getting that back. You know, it's interesting, if, but if the Mariners were really bad, couldn't they, you know, couldn't they try and uh, avoid the contract? I mean, no one, no one, I, obviously the union would fight it and it would be wildly unpopular, but wouldn't they have grounds to try and fight and avoid that contract? Yeah, you're right, though. I think knowing that anybody who tries to do that, they'd have a huge fight in their hands. Remember, the Yankees had some – they threatened to do that with Jason Giambi, and that was all it was. It was a threat. Uh, it's too difficult a case to win. Um, you know, the flip side to that now is the Mariners actually have $12 million in their pocket that they didn't have. So maybe it's Manny Machado, maybe it's somebody else, but it puts them in position to get somebody to replace him this season that they might not have budgeted for. Okay, so uh, you mentioned Manny, and obviously you, and you mentioned Bryce Harper, and we have we've talked about we haven't talked about the Yankees. Obviously, only and I know the A's beat them once. The Red Sox seems like only Mother Nature right now can can stop <laughs> can stop the New York Yankees. Find the flaw though. If there's a flaw to this team, what is it? Uh, this is really nitpicking, but it's probably the number of strikeouts now. I think that the rookies at the bottom of the lineup and Duhar and, and Torres have really sort of changed the dynamic there. But in a playoff atmosphere, you saw this a little bit last year with Houston, right? You know, the, they, there's just not enough balls in play to create rallies to get people in. It's the only thing that you go up against the Houston staff that strikes out everybody in the world. Maybe there's too many strikeouts in that lineup. Yeah. But, you know, the upside is you make one mistake and they have multiple guys who are going to lose it. Yeah, and then you know Batances when he's right, and Robertson when he's right, and obviously Araldis Chapman when he's right is pretty good at the back end as well. Tom Verducci, MLB analyst for the MLB Network and Fox, three-time Emmy Award winner, covering Dodgers Nats tomorrow. Of course, Nats don't have waiters. He's out. Uh, he's out. He just had surgery on MLB Network. First pitch is at seven o five Eastern time. Congrats on yet another Emmy Award. If you want somebody to hold one, I'll take it for a spin every now and again. Pretend like I won it. In the meantime. Uh, it, it's your your due is well deserved. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me anytime. All right, Tom Verducci joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. If your check engine light comes on, come into AutoZone, the free fix finder tool with will troubleshoot the problem right on the spot. Whether it's something serious or simple like a loose gas cap, you can get it fixed right the first time. Get in the zone, AutoZone.
You know, look, everybody's talking about Robbie Cano. All he has to do in 10 years, nine years, is start dating a really popular singer, actress, right? And just say, like, I changed. Don't really offer up any way in which you've changed. And you'll be good. You'll be good. Let's bring in David Gascon. Dave, what do you got? We'll continue with Major League Baseball. The one game in the books already was in Miami. Dodgers took care of the Marlins 7 to nothing. Justin Turner on his return. Three for four, five runs driven in. Also, a run scored. Kenta Maeda improves his record at three and three. He went eight full innings, had eight Ks and two hits against Dodgers. Still nine games under 500. You mentioned it as well. Nationals catcher Matt Waiters underwent surgery on his hamstring. The catcher was only hitting 231 for the Nationals, but there's no timetable now on his return. Onward to the National Football League. Ruben Foster's ex-girlfriend testifying in court today said that she lied about Foster hitting her and that she made up all the accusations as part of a money scheme against the San Francisco 49er. Meanwhile, Cleveland Browns will be on center stage. HBO's Hard Knocks will be covering them leading up to the 2018 season. And the NBA, Brad Stevens, head coach for the Celtics, says that Shane Larkin is not even close to be playing. He did not play in games one and two in the Eastern Conference Finals. Staying with that National Hockey League tonight, Game 4, Caps and Lightning. Neither team has won on home ice just yet. Caps leading that series two games to one. Doug? Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the Cavs, no, no hoop tonight. But I saw this story, and I thought it was really, really interesting, that uh, LeBron James and Tyron Liu, they, they did push uh, for trades around the trade deadline or when, when the – Cavs made a trade, but not the trades that were consummated. Now, according to The Athletic, uh, according to The Athletic, LeBron James and Tyron Lue wanted and tried to make a run at the Clippers star, Jordan, uh, DeAndre Jordan. Now, we talked about this yesterday, which is, you can tell us all you want about, hey, I wanted DeAndre Jordan, I wanted DeAndre Jordan, I wanted DeAndre Jordan. But the reality of it, the reality of wanting DeAndre Jordan would have meant that you're going all in to win and win right now. Whereas the trade that was pulled off with, and, and what, did, what did the Clippers want? Remember, the Clippers wanted that first round pick. Clippers already had two lottery picks. We saw Jerry West uncomfortably sitting up there, right? Jerry West sitting on the, that's where Elgin Baylor, like Elgin, who's, I know they're very close friends. Elgin Baylor, though, he sat at that desk for way more years. Jerry West had, with two lottery picks, just feels icky, doesn't it? Jerry West, like, I won titles with the Lakers. I won titles with the Lakers as a player, as a GM, then I won one as an advisor with the Warriors. Now I'm with the Clippers, and we're all right. We're rebuilding. What what I found to be fascinating, though, is again any of these stories which I have heard to be completely accurate, like LeBron. Hey, man, I wanted DeAndre Jordan, and you don't. You didn't get it. Like, yeah, we probably could have had we known if you were staying. You know. That's like a guy showing up late for dinner. Like, hey, you guys didn't wait for me? Like, we didn't know you were going to be here. You didn't call. You didn't text. We're supposed to wait for you? Oh, you didn't didn't order me dinner? Like, you order out, and they get there. There's no dinner. Like, we didn't know you were coming over for dinner, dude. 
LeBron James saying or telling the Cavs, and I want you to go get DeAndre Jordan, knowing that that would have meant getting rid of the lottery pick, the unprotected lottery pick from the Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn Nets. It's completely obtuse to the fact that LeBron James hindered their ability to make that trade because they didn't know if he's staying or going. I do think DeAndre Jordan's a game-changing shot blocker. Game-changer. Because so many of these mistakes defensively, you can play closer to your guy. You know? Now, look, it would be a completely different series against Toronto. I still think they win. And it would be weird. You know, now Kevin Love's back to the four and DeAndre Jordan at the five and LeBron at the point or at the three or whatever. You put two shooters out there. It's a completely different team. But what it... But he knows he doesn't want to run around and block shots anymore. Like, he needs some rim protection. So, LeBron saying, or LeBron wanting DeAndre Jordan, but not wanting to commit to staying, it's the same thing that hurt them from getting Paul George. It's the same same reason that Kyrie Irving was never, they never tried to talk Kyrie Irving out of it. Now, I again, I none of this means I know that he's leaving. I don't know. I I don't know. I suspect it's very likely that he is leaving, very likely. But more than anything, if you want to sit there and go like, "Hey, I'm going to give LeBron a pass when he leaves this time because they didn't put a good enough team around him." Last time they did. Th- that's what's missed. Last time he was there, they went out and had Antoine Jameson end of his run. They had Remember Shaq was on that team? Like Shaq was? Yeah, dude. They went out and got Shaq. They were just like trying everything. Well, everything we can to win and win then. And what happened after he left? How good was that team? <clears throat> Whereas now they're like, look, we got a we got a first round pick, got a lottery pick. We got some of these young dudes that are not bad. So they won't be as awful as they were before, but they couldn't go for it like they wanted to now. Colin Coward thinks the Browns are on hard knocks because they passed on Sam Darnold. I'll give you my thoughts next. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Every day at this time, we'd like to play for you a portion, at least a portion, of a show earlier on Fox Sports Radio or Fox Sports 1. We call it... And now... (laughs) Your check engine light comes on. Come into AutoZone. The free fix finder tool will troubleshoot the problem right on the spot. Whether it's something serious or simple like a loose gas cap, you can get it fixed right the first time. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Colin Cowherd had this to say on why the Browns are on hard knocks. Coaches hate it. Coordinators hate it. General managers hate it. Last year it was Tampa Bay. They had a promising roster. Disaster 5-11. The year before it was the Rams. Promising roster. Went 4-12. The year before that, it was Houston. They had a winning record, but they underachieved for their talent. Coaches and GMs do not want hard knocks. They do not want cameras because they understand, name the last marriage that got stronger after a reality show. What do reality shows seek? Dysfunction. Time bombs. Television shows that are train wrecks. You do realize if the Cleveland Browns would have drafted boring, stoic, humble, adult Sam Darnold, 
they would have been the sixth out of the sixth choice. I, I I agree, obviously, with everything Colin said about reality shows. I disagree with him in terms of hard knocks. Okay? I, I just do. Like I felt everybody fell in love with Jameis Winston as a leader last year during hard knocks. The year before, though, Jared Goff did not appear to be ready to be a leader of the Rams. And Jeff Fisher obviously got clowned for what he said about being tired of being a 7-9 or 8-8 eight and eight or whatever. The fact is... He didn't walk away thinking anything worse of the Rams. When the Houston Texans, uh, w- when the Houston Texans were the subject of hard knocks, you walked away thinking that J.J. Watt worked every hour, noon and night, on his spin move, and that Bill O'Brien was the greatest coach orator in the National Football League. Like they do a really good job of dotting their eyes with hearts. They just do. And oh yeah, by the way. I love Hard Knocks. I will watch it. I've watched every season to date. But there are other series. You know, now Amazon has a series that goes around and does it for college teams and pro teams alike. It's no longer the only um, the only franchise that gets a look at the realities of the National Football League. Cowboys already have other teams. Arizona Cardinals had their own. They were a bad team. So though I agree with Colin in terms of reality shows exposed dysfunction, that's not what... Hard Knocks is not. It's it's a documentary of sorts. And yeah, they they picked the Browns because they drafted uh because they drafted you know a guy who's Baker Mayfield who can be polarizing. But I mean, they didn't win a game last year. So, it couldn't go any worse. What does the fuck say? Like, like any improvement is an improvement. Like, they won two games like, man, look at the improvement. Kids didn't win a game last year. Hey, don't tell me the downside. Just tell me the upside. So the NBA Draft Combine is uh, taking place. I used to do these. Uh, I used to do this for back when it was on ESPNU and it was in Orlando. Now it's in Chicago. And I'm, I'm watching. And I hate the way they do it now. Look, I do a really good job of trying not to be critical of either of my previous two employers like I just don't think that's and so I don't know whose decision it was like I'm watching Rob Palenka who's a friend actually coaches son so I'm an AAU it's nice guys the general manager of the Lakers they have picks 25 and picks 40 and and it's an interview I'd, I'd like with Adrian Wojnarowski it's an interview I'd like to listen in on but I I, I don't know that feels like a wraparound program I'd like to watch the guys actually play basketball Crazy, right? I like to watch the guys actually go through the shooting drills. I don't, I just don't, I can, and I also kind of don't get the NBA. They do it, um, they do it at a small college in Chicago. Like, why not do it in an NBA arena, you know, or an NBA practice facility, much the way, like in LA with the Lakers, which is probably where they'll end up, start doing it with the new facility they have. Or do it in Vegas at UNLV where you have a bunch of, you have three different, you have really three different arenas right there, actually two that they play NBA Summer League games on. So that you can still have these interviews, have the have the shooting drills, and have the games going on. And you can put the conversation up in the corners. But I, I, I don't know. I kind of want to watch the guys play, don't you? Isn't that the whole idea of the thing? I'm weird like that. 
that I actually like to watch basketball players play basketball to determine how good of basketball players they are. Funny. Yes, rhyme music. But isn't that the problem, is that someone such as yourself is actually informed and understands the game, and maybe they do it like this because for the general fan, they want to hear people who are quote-unquote experts explaining it to them. No, what, what I think you do is, like, look, you have Jay Billis there, you have Adrian Wojnarowski there, you have uh, uh, Javoni there, uh, Jonathan Javoni there. Okay, Have them watch these guys work out and, and go through players and tell the world what you're looking for. Like Dante DiVincenzo playing well in the first game. Like, I didn't see any of it. Any of it. Any of it. So, yeah, they're talking with Palinka about LeBron and KD and Chris Paul being unrestricted and Paul George having a player option, uh, Jokic having a team option, and Clint Capella being restricted. Like, all that's interesting. But you know what's the combine? Can we watch the guys at the combine? The Rockets had their postseason hopes saved. What up, Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Coming from the sunny city of Angels, Jim Barnett's going to join us, Warriors analyst for Comcast Sports Net Bay Area. Do, 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 do. Um, there's this thing called saving face. Saving face. How would you, John Ramos, welcome back. How would you describe saving face? Uh, I would say if you said something that was incorrect, you try to get out of it by saying something that might correlate with what the other people are actually thinking. Maybe the proper, like, you, you know that what you said was wrong, so you try to say something that kind of saves that you were incorrect about what you just said, but you don't look as bad as you would if you just went, I'm, I was wrong entirely. Right. It's an, it's an idiom, right? Uh, to it's to try and regain uh, favorable standing, right? Like try to just at least just stabilize it. Like ah, it it's kind of like if you ever go on a first date. Nah, it's been a while. Uh, you ever go on a first date and you say something really dumb out of the gate, and look, you know you're not going to take her home that night, but you at least want to get through the dinner and get through dessert and. Have it end amicably, right? Like you, you make a joke about somebody. You, you make a joke about some. You know, we were talking about Hawaii, and the Kilauea went off today, right? And it's not that I'm not sympathetic, but there's a part of me that's not as sympathetic as probably I should be. Just one, that's how I'm wired, and two, you did choose to live on a on an island with an active volcano, like, right? I mean, and look, we here we live in a fault zone area in Southern California. It's not that I I will obviously feel I mean feel awful if there's the big one actually ever comes. I think the difference is like there have been warning signs about Kilauea going off, and so they've kind of told you like, hey, it's getting bad, getting bad, getting bad, getting bad, getting bad. You're like, I get. Have you seen <laughs> Have you seen the footage of some of the lava? And there's a car that got enveloped by the lava. But it like slowly went across the road. It reminds me of the opening scene from Austin Powers, the first Austin Powers, where he's on the the guy's on the steamroller, and it's like slowly rolling towards him. There's a little bit of that. So my point is, like if I I sat down, say I had a first date tonight, and I was like, "Hey, what do you think about Kilauea?" Like, huh? Well, I mean, you know, it is an active volcano. 
volcanic ash, volcanic eruptions, it's bound to go off. Yeah, my family. And and she's like, yeah, my family actually lives there. We lost our house and all our earthly possessions. Like, oh, saving face would be, look, I love Hawaii. I've been to all the islands. Big Island's my favorite. You know, you start dropping all your island knowledge. You even start using your Hawaiian words. You start doing the Hawaii instead of Hawaii, so you sound like you totally know what you're talking about, even though you have no idea what you're talking about. And the dinner doesn't end there. At least you get to pick up the check and grovel. I'm like, so sorry. No, no, you're fine. Fine. It's actually kind of funny. We didn't even like that house. Grandma died. We didn't even like Grandma, right? Like, all these things, I guess, you you shake hands, you end the night, you saved face. That's what the Rockets did last night. Right? Best record in the NBA. Went out and got Chris Paul. Like, dude, you can't. You can lose a game at home to the Warriors in the playoffs. Understandable. You know what you can't do? You can't lose two games at home when you have the best record in the NBA to start this. You can't go down two games to none. You got to play with greater passion, focus, intensity, energy, toughness, etc. Which is, by the way, what Steve Kerr said they did. I just think this game was a matter of uh, the Rockets bringing the the force that's necessary to win a game, and um, and we we didn't. But you know, give them the credit; they came out and played uh, a great game, and you know, we got what we deserved. They they kicked our butts. No other way to say it. I it often comes down to which one has the uh, the edge in terms of the um, the aggression and the desperation. They were desperate tonight, and they played like it, and we didn't. And uh, the results showed they also, I mean, the Rockets also played much faster, really tried to push, make or miss, try to push the ball, try to get the, the Golden State Warriors on their heels defensively. And uh, for the most part, it worked, but they crashed the glass. They were physical. Um, and, and they, you know, even when the Warriors cut the lead in the second quarter, you know, there's, there's that Sean Livingston where it's like a, uh, low altitude orbit over the earth. Like Sean Livingston felt like he he jumped like six inches, but he almost went from the free throw line to dunk it. They cut it to six. The Warriors came, the, the Rockets came right back and attacked. They were counterpunching last night. That was the big, the, the two main differences were on defense. When you went one-on-one, they let you go one-on-one and they stayed home and they made you beat your own guy. So there weren't a lot of assists. And on offense, when they got it, if they had a chance, they pushed, 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 and then they shared the ball some. But really what the Rockets did was they saved face. Because otherwise, the series is an abject disaster. You can't lose those two games in a row at home. And P.J. Tucker hit shots. Trevor Reza hit shots. Also, Houston ran things to get them involved, some they didn't do. Uh, they didn't do almost at all in game one. And Golden State turned it over. Golden State took some of the bait. Golden State didn't get back in transition. And you know, I, I remember when it got cut to six, Ariza hits a bucket, P.J. Tucker hits two threes in a row, and that was that felt like that was the game in the second quarter, and then they stretched the lead out at the end of the first half. They did the same thing at the end of the fourth quarter when it got close. It doesn't mean that I think the Warriors are going to win in five. 
probably goes to six. I mean, this is not an awful team. It's also not, unless Chris Paul's injury is as bad as he kind of made it look when he was on the bench late in the fourth. Like Chris Paul not being in the game late in the fourth quarter tells you something ain't right. right? They, they thought it was an Achilles. They thought it was pretty bad. We'll see. Chris Paul goes down, it might go, and his dad stays out. It it could be five. Otherwise, probably six. By the way, Chris Paul being hurt in the playoffs. Where have I heard that before? Wait, what? Chris Chris Paul Derek Rose thinks Chris Paul's hurt a lot during the playoffs. Yeah, I went there. I did. Here's Chris Paul giving his thoughts on the win. Surprisingly, we didn't change anything. You know, we guarded the same way. I mean, obviously, we, we, we played harder, but scheme-wise, we didn't change anything. We just did everything a little harder. Yeah, I mean, look, I, he can tell me that the scheme didn't change, but we saw the ball move. We saw you push the basketball, and we saw you make a defensive adjust, major defensive adjustment. So you can say that all you, all you want. The reality is there was a, an obvious change. Which brings us to Steph Curry. Right. And I do think like, look, Nick Wright can be it, he's he's basically hypocritical when he's saying this. But he's not wrong for what he's actually saying. And Nick Wright's point is that when Steph plays poorly in the playoffs, Steph's not healthy. And that that just that ain't right. The problem with that is when, Le, you know, when LeBron James plays when LeBron James' team doesn't win, we never blame LeBron James because we look at the final stat line. Whereas I could point out that LeBron in the in the fourth quarter, wh- why didn't he attack in the fourth quarter the way he did in the first quarter? Why not? And you could say, well, he was super tired. O- okay. He didn't try and play one-man show. I mean, it was fairly obvious. I mean, he was... He was like Conor McGregor in the first couple rounds against Floyd Mayweather in in the first quarter, just taking haymakers and in this in that case landing them. So the the point that Nick makes is correct, which is when Steph Curry doesn't play well, we do always say Steph Curry's hurt. The problem is Steph Curry is always hurt, and he did in fact come back off an MCL sprain. Uh, I don't think that what you see from Steph when he struggles in the playoffs is the reason many of us, myself included, weren't convinced that Steph Curry would even be a star in this league, let alone a superstar, which is what he's become. Because the type of physicality they play with, multiply that by two, and that's how they used to play in the NBA, and you're, you, you don't do it in the regular season, you don't isolate him as much defensively, you don't pay as much attention to this guy, and his weaknesses are getting exposed, and he's getting worn down. It's more physical when he has the ball on offense and on defense, they're going at him twice as many possessions per game as they do in the regular season. All of that exhausts him, causes him to miss finishes that he used to make and miss threes that he used to normally makes and not have the same burst of speed. And he's coming off an injury. I think this is explainable. Just like when LeBron James doesn't attack in the fourth quarter, you could say, Hey, he doesn't have that much gas left in the tank. He's got a bunch of shooters. He also has to play defense, and he can't do it himself. These are 
it's fair that he didn't try and take over in the fourth quarter. It's also fair the explanation that's given. The road ahead is bound to take some unexpected turns. Farmers Insurance can help you understand your coverage options with our practical knowledge gained from more than 90 years of experience. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Find an agent at Farmers.com. We are Farmers. Aren't you guys glad I didn't go around the room again yesterday? Because two days ago, we all picked Celta. I know, Ramos, you weren't here. We picked Celtics, Cavs, and I picked wrong. Yesterday, I was the only one who picked the game, and I picked Warriors, and I picked wrong. You happy about that, their music? Hey, Doug, you know what? I certainly was with you, and so I'm just glad that I didn't have to publicly voice it. You were taking the Warriors yesterday? Yeah, I was taking the Warriors yesterday. Yeah, they were. It's Ryan Music, producer extraordinaire. <laughs> Dan Byer's off again today? <laughs> That's right. I got to start taking some days off. <laughs> I, got, like, I, have, I have lived through everybody else's vacations. Usually the talent, that's, that's what they call guys that talk on the radio. Usually we're the guys who are off all the time, and you guys make fun of me. <laughs> Jim Barnett played in the league. Now he's a color analyst for the Warriors. How do they fix what ails Steph Curry? And which is the real Rockets, game one or game two? We'll discuss next. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice price. True Car shows what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. If your check engine light comes on, come into AutoZone. The free fix finder tool will troubleshoot the problem right on the spot. Whether it's something serious or simple like a loose gas cap, you can get it fixed right the first time. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Uh, Jim Barnett was an outstanding player. Of course, now he covers the Golden State Warriors for Comcast Sportsnet Bay Area. And maybe he has the answers to the questions that were posed to us all last night watching the Houston Rockets dominate and demolish the Golden State Warriors. He joins us now on Fox Sports Radio. Let's start with Steph Curry. Why do you think he's struggling to shoot the basketball? Well, last night he didn't get great shots, any forced shots, and... Their defense, uh, Houston's defense, was suffocating right from the get-go, and the Warriors weren't prepared for it. you think they would be because they were facing a team that's desperate. They had to win that game, two after losing game one at home. And, uh, I mean, Clay Thompson struggled getting shots last night. He had about two good looks. And Stefan didn't get any looks for a while, and he started shooting those long shots that he makes a lot of the times, but he hadn't gotten into his groove yet. He hadn't gotten to his rhythm. And so they, they're, they've just got to help him get shots, uh, you know, better shots. But he just didn't – I've never seen Houston play that kind of defense, but that was really, really tough defense they played last night. Yeah, very physical and uh, a ton of attention to detail. And then I also noticed that they really kind of ran the ball back. They counterpunched. They really ran the ball back the other way and put Golden State on the, def- on the defensive uh, on the defensive, right? Uh, not just playing defense, but have, having them backpedal and kind of scrambling in transition. That's not something I've seen a ton from them. No, you know, it usually goes the other way, and the Warriors want to play transition basketball. But the way they play, play transition basketball is the Warriors are a pretty good defensive team, and when they're engaged, and as bad as they were at the offensive end, and they weren't, you know, they weren't good at all, Kevin Durant obviously can score whenever he wants, and he can go one-on-one and do that. But Clay's not capable of doing that. And Stephen Curry, unless he gets into that 
little thing that he gets going, and, and he wasn't in either, either of the two games. I mean, he just didn't look like the same Stephen Curry that we had seen. And he's been out a long time, but he did have a, a few games in this other series. But I, I think the Warriors, when they play defense, they get out in transition. And it's ironic because game one was so different offensively for Houston than it was in game two. I mean, they wore, wore the clock, you know, the shot clock down again and again, looking for the pick and roll. And they do tar- target Curry uh, to try to run a pick and roll, but they were uh, insistent on doing that again and again. And last night, other people got involved. And uh, players that did not hurt the Warriors in game one, uh, namely Trevor Ariza, P.J. Tucker. Eric Gordon was good in game one, although he had the turnover, so he didn't play as much. He did hit three threes. But in game two, those three players, Ariza, Tucker, and Gordon, where they had combined for, what was it, 24 points, they had 68 points last night. And and they shot the heck out of the ball, 23 of 33. I wrote these numbers down because – that was a big story of the game, and they were 12 of 18 from three-point range. They made 12, those three players, of the 16 three-pointers that the uh, Houston Rockets made. So they played a very different ball game than I ex- anticipated, um, but the Warriors let them have opportunities, and uh, the Warriors' transition defense was awful last night. It's, they, they were bad at both ends of the court, Doug. And, they, they, uh, they, they were, they were but, they've, but they've had these, un, unex, you know, unexplainably bad moments. Why so many of them? I don't know. They, 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 you know, I talked to Ron Adams today. On you want to get that? No, I do not want to get that. Cause it's probably Jim! Some sales call. Get the phone, Jim, Jim, somebody. I'm sorry, Jim. I'm just, I'm teasing you. I'm giving <laughs> that's the okay. That's okay. Anyway, you're talking um, to Ron Adams. I'm sorry. I, I disrupted your thought. No, no, you didn't distract me. I'm, I'm fine. Um, I talked to Ron and he's just said, he summed it up. He said, you know, this team just likes to have one of those games once in a while. And they really bounce back from those games. But I have to say, there's no guarantee. This is a, um, this is a you know, the Houston Rockets are strong. They didn't win 65 games by accident right. this year. And they've got about eight players that can shoot threes. And the Warriors don't have that luxury. They really don't. They don't have people off the bench. Nick Young can be hot or cold. Uh, but that's about it as far as three-point shooting whereas this team can really draw on a lot of people. And, um, you know, Mike D'Antoni's a heck of a coach. These guys are playing hard. Uh, they, you know, they picked up Chris Paul, who now shoots threes as well and, and looks to shoot first rather than dish uh, and get assists uh, as he used to do throughout his career. Uh, Clint Capella's vastly improved. He's in, in line for uh, most improved player along with Oladipo uh, with the Pacers, I think. And, uh They've got a better, you know, they picked up Tucker this last summer, good defender, Luke Bahamute, the same thing, and they're, and they're both, both capable, as we saw last night with Tucker, who had five out of six threes, capable of shooting threes. So um, the Warriors have to go out and do it. Now, I, I thought before the season began that the Warriors would win it in six. I just thought they, they know how to turn it on and everything. They've been waiting for this. This has been a long season for them because it's been a long three seasons prior to this going deep in, in, into the finals every year, into June, so that, that wears you out physically, emotionally, psychologically. Um, Curry missed a lot of time. I think he only played 51 games this year. So uh, we'll see if they get back on track. Uh, if they don't get back on track uh, in game three here at home on Sunday, then, uh, then everybody can rewrite the script. Is Steph healthy? He's healthy. Yes, he is. But I don't think he's in great shape. I don't think he's in – Well, it's not game I, shape, I, right? Yeah, but like yeah. like look, I, people people understand like you can train all you want, 
But you get out there and play, it's totally different. Then you get out there and play in a playoff game at this level of intensity and physicality, and it's really hard. Yes, it is. You, you, and he doesn't have that stamina, it seems like to me. Because I, you know, earlier, Doug, in his career, he, he could not create his own shot. But a couple of years ago, he learned how to create his own shot, particularly from three-point range. And I haven't seen that explosiveness. He can get around people in this league because half the people, uh, for some reason, they, they don't know how to keep someone in front of them. I mean, James Harden goes at will to the basket, which always puzzles me. <laughs> but uh, but Stefan can get to the basket, and he can finish inside because he's very, very clever. And he, can, he knows how to use the blackboard and knows how to use the English off the glass. But I haven't seen this dancing that he does hard dribble left, right, back, and step back into that three, and he has such a quick release. I haven't seen that uh, since his return. Only when, only a, a short time when he came back and got it going as he had all that adrenaline going. But I just his body language in these first two games down there, he was, I, I don't want to say it may be a little too strong, but it seemed more subdued. Yeah, it, it 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 did. I mean, I think some of it is sky report. Some of it is they can they can put hands on him. Some yep. of it is some of it is that they're wearing him out. It's a little bit of everything, right? It's not not one thing. Some of it is they're going at him defensively, which which wears you down. Um, yes. And then yes. and then he he hasn't had one of those you know offensive explosions where he just starts kind of throwing it in from anywhere. And and these are the type of things that can happen. All right, uh, last thing, I'd make the case that Kevin Durant is better now than any of these three guys have been during any of this run, but but the overall team is weaker than it has been at any other time during this run. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, I'm trying to I'm listening to it. I'm trying to figure it out. How so how so, do you, so how do you come to that conclusion? I just come to the conclusion that like look Kevin Durant is virtually unguardable man Correct. to man, right? Virtually right. unguardable. And Absolutely. because he's any shot he wants. Yeah, can he get wants. can get any can get any shot. And He's also pretty engaged as a defender and as a rim protector. So he's a better, more versatile weapon than Steph, or maybe even Clay has has been at either end, right? Like Clay's a really good, probably a better on ball defender. He's a better rim protector. I don't know, but and you go back to any of these past three years or four years now, um, Kevin Durant currently is better than any of those guys have ever been. But because the reason that teams are closer to them than, say, last year is, like you said, they don't have the luxury of a bench. They don't have, and and Draymond Green's really not confident in his own three-point shot, and so the court's not nearly as stretched as it used to be. The team's not as good, even if Kevin Durant is playing maybe at his peak level. Well, I, I, I'm going to disagree. I think, that, I think they're better. Um, okay. Yes, I, I, when, I think they're better than they were in 2015. Um, because of, of Kevin Durant and so forth, and when they really get it going like that, uh, we just you, you. I don't know whether you'd be saying this with, if Stephen Curry had been hot in these first two games, but I, I just think that you know Kevin Durant. Yes, he's he can score at will. Stephen Curry does not have that luxury, but I still think Stephen Curry is the most important part of this club. When he gets it going, his his. His energy, his, his uh, spirit that he brings to the club, it permeates. He's more outgoing personality. He's kind of quiet, too, but he gets on that floor, and that's his playground, and that's his, his oasis, and that's where he really uh, feels comfortable. And Durant is rather, he's rather introverted, and he doesn't say a lot. He's, he keeps to himself a lot. Um, he just doesn't talk very much to anyone. 
So I don't know. They're very different. There's no question about Kevin Durant is offensively gifted, but he was not engaged defensively last night. I mean, I don't even did. I don't. He got one block shot against Capella in the first game. I don't even think he tried to block a shot last night. Yeah. It's, uh, it was it was interesting. So I don't know. It, remain, it remains to be seen. I, I know this that uh, this is one heck of a series, and the winner will probably play Boston who uh, is surprising everybody, and I just uh, you, uh, everybody might relax then and say, oh, well, you know, that's going to be Houston. They're, they're going to roll over Boston, or the Warriors are going to roll over Boston, and then you, you kind of get caught. <laughs> so it's interesting. Brad Stevens has done a terrific job back there. And I keep thinking how good Boston will be next year once they get Irving and Hayward back. They'll Holy be, mackerel. They'll be incredible. Great stuff, Jim. You can return that call. We appreciate you joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Thanks for asking me. All right, that's Jim Barnett, Warriors analyst, Comcast Sportsnet, Bay Area. Let's get you to David Gascon. Find out what else is going on in the world of sports. David, what do you got? We continue in the NBA. Head coach for the Celtics, Brad Stevens, says he will not have the services for Shane Larkin, at least for the next couple of games. He did not play in games one and two because of a bad shoulder. In the National Football League, Reuben Foster's ex-girlfriend testified in court today. She had lied about Foster actually hitting her and then made up some of the accusations because of a money scheme that she was a part of. HBO's Hard Knocks will be covering the Cleveland Browns this year in 2018, leading up to kickoff in week number one. In Major League Baseball, one game is already in the books. Dodgers beat the Marlins 7 to nothing. L.A. still nine games under 500. But Justin Turner is back. He was three for four today with five runs driven in. Kenta Maeda went eight full and had eight strikeouts. Off the Diamond Nationals catcher Matt Waiters underwent surgery on a bad hamstring. Catcher hitting just 231 this season. And there's no timetable for his return. And one note in the National Hockey League Eastern Conference Finals tonight. Capitals and Lightning. Washington leads that series two games to one. The road team has won all three games leading up to this point. Doug? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Uh, our, our next guest is an outstanding writer. He's really more known in the industry as a coach. Coach AAU teams. He's uh, he's He's been a consultant to NBA teams, international coaches as well. Um, and used, used to write for ESPN.com. Now works for Flow Sports. He's David Thorpe. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb show. Uh, David, let's let's get to last night. What do you think the difference was? Was it were, were the Rockets that much different, or was it simply they just played harder? Well, I mean, they played faster and harder. So let's go with that, right? They they not only did they get into their half court possessions faster. I thought that Harden. It looked like on the Greek board somewhere in the locker room, uh, Coach Antonio wrote, "You know, get to the top of the key by now." That was quicker, and they just looked to race out on the wings. They could get Capella running faster, rim the rim, and Harden through those head-to-head passes. And then they were much more physical, Doug, on the ball. Like, like the Pacers normally play, that's not how the Rockets normally play. But last night, they definitely got under the chins of the Warriors, played much more physically, bumped cutters better, far better communication, up because they'll slip a lot of screens, the Warriors will, and, and run beer screens to confuse you. And they, so they just were so much more locked in and intense, and Golden State was casual. That was a nightmare for the Warriors, that combination. So how replicable is that effort for Houston going forward? Oh, I think the better question probably is, if, if, if I'm thinking Golden State's going to win the series, I'm, I'm really looking at uh, two things. How's Steph Curry doing? Because he's not doing great so far. And then the Iguodala uh Draymond Green combination has been, they just can't make a shot. So if you're not getting anything from those two guys, 
and Steph Curry isn't somewhere near all-star level, well, now you're Cleveland West. I think you play better defense. I understand that the Warriors do, but you can't just leave it on Durant against that team. The Rockets are number one seed for a reason. So I'm really looking at Curry and what he does in, in game three plus like that green Nicodala combination. They just got to start making some threes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I point out, like, Draymond, he stopped even looking at him, right? I mean, he stopped yeah. looking at him. And the, the thing about the reason the small ball lineup works is you go back to the first year the Warriors won it was they weren't guarding Iguodala, and he made them pay. And then, you know, always Draymond has made just enough to keep you honest. Now neither are making them. And the court is shrinking around Durant, and you can you can stick to to Clay Thompson, and you're you're kind of stuck like glue to Steph, and being really physical with Steph. I mean, how, so how do you fix it mid? How do you fix Iguodala and Green mid series? Oh, it's a great question. I don't know. Uh, he, he, I mean, Iguodala was really just nailed in the regular season, and and so a lot of us were thinking, okay, let's see round one and round two. And, and sure enough, he definitely looked a lot more plugged in, which told us, okay, he just mailed in the season. Which, but, but this is a very different level, and I don't know that he'll be able to fix it. Your point on Draymond's very good. He, you remember this now. Remember this, Doug. It, 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 for a long time, the way people defended Golden State, uh, David Blatt did this initially to great effect through halfway through that first series four years ago now, where they just really hard-hedged or even blitzed or doubled Steph on ball screens. And Draymond would short roll, and eventually Curry figured out in that series and beyond that Draymond could be a facilitator on the short roll, attacking down the middle, playing downhill, and they played from there. David Lee actually did a really good job in that series right. initially, and Draymond learned. But, but the Rockets just switch everything. And so, so Curry doesn't get any chance to play. He's not playing against two guys, and he's not playing against the air. He's playing against the guy all the time. And while Curry's a solid on-ball defender, He's the worst of their starting five guarding the ball. So that means the Rockets are kind of picking on him. I don't think they're singling him out only, but they're certainly not afraid with all their different weapons to go at him and, and bumping him all the time. Like you just said, it's, it's a process. This, this has got to be, we'll see what happens again in game three, but Kerr's got to be thinking, how do I get Steph Curry open more? That'll include probably more rim cuts, him using him as a screener and a shaper or a screener and, a, and then a cutter. Because he's got to start getting easy baskets, and if that three's not falling, or they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, it's it's fascinating how quickly things can turn. I do love the idea that the Rockets, like, no, we didn't do anything different. All right, let's go to to the Cavaliers. Um, how, how do they how do they fix themselves? LeBron spectacular early, then he kind of peters out, and the rest of the team is just beholden around help defense for LeBron so he can create a jump shot. They're struggling just athletically to guard the ball, struggling with the energy and depth of energy uh, off the bench on, on the boards. How, how does Cleveland write itself? Yeah, well, so there's really two things to hit on. The first thing was they're up 11, 47-36, when LeBron took that, that totally innocent but still vicious shoulder into the jaw from, from a six foot eight, 200-plus-pound Jason Tatum, and they got blown out from that point on, right? He just wasn't the same. Anyone watching – could see that, especially on defense. He stood around a lot in their rotations, literally just standing around and not chasing things. And then offensively, I played this. He, he became like uh, Tom Brady as an athlete. What I meant by that what wasn't such a compliment. He was quarterbacking from the top instead of playing downhill with some exceptions. He, he's got to be attacking all the time. Then the second part is 
those other guys don't have a trust, right? That probably is the bigger issue here is they don't really have a trust with each other because they just haven't been together all that long. And so if LeBron's not superhuman, they really have no shot. And your point is very good. It's what I think that at the individual matchup, forget about Brown and Tatum being 20 and 21. They're outstanding basketball players, athletic and long and strong and hungry, uh, smart as a beast. We know Al Horford's fantastic. This is, we've been underestimating the talent of this team because they were missing two all are really, really good, extremely well coached and confident. Cleveland has to rely on their core. The answer to your question is the core group of guys that have been there a while, they need to just find a connection and a trust with each other. And then, and then LeBron's just got to play as hard as he possibly can on both ends or, or this series. I mean, they could get out 3-0 and it's over. Is it, is that enough? Like is LeBron everything he has? Is it, is it enough? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I think you're right. I think, I think it's a fair to ask that question. Boston not playing so great, that's a different story. And let's be honest, Boston has not been so good. I think they're 1-4 on the road. So that, this is, so this is part of the issue is they're fantastic at home. Uh, at Cleveland, maybe they can get, uh, one game because Boston doesn't play great. But if you go down 3-1 against that team, I don't know that Cleveland's enough to get back to that. So to me, you have to hope Boston doesn't play so well, which is possible. But I still think that they have a good chance to split the series in Cleveland, which is what Boston really needs. Um, David Thorpe joining us, Flow Sports, used to write for ESPN.com. He's a, a world-renowned basketball coach, clinician, also a consultant, kind enough to spend some time this year on the Doug Gottlieb Show. I saw you get into some discussion on Twitter about some of the movement that, you, that we're likely to see in the offseason if you're Boston, knowing what you know about the young talent under club control you have, do you move those pieces to go get a Kawhi? I think you have to consider everything. What, what really what I was trying to do on Twitter yesterday, which didn't really forget sometimes, it, it's not just people like you that have followed me. It's the average fan who loses their mind to every possible game. But GMs are playing games all the time. And so I basically posited the question, and I was w- waiting for someone to answer it correctly. Today, finally, someone did. Really, if you get, if you could wave a magic wand, Doug, and, and not have to pay Hayward, and not have to pay Irving, let's assume they make to the finals to even win a game or two. With this just group, without Kyrie and Gordon, well, now you're thinking, let's clear space, let's, let these guys grow. We know we're good enough to contend without anyone, and now in two years, when, 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 uh, when, when someone like Anthony Davis maybe comes available, we got plenty of money. To go get them because what you have to, what you really have to do is decide: Do I use these young guys to go immediately become the best team I can be and go get some of the others you could go after, or do I give them oxygen, which is playing time and opportunities? Because let me tell you this: If Irving comes back at 18 shots a game and Hayward comes back at about 15 or so shots a game, that's 33 or so shots that those two young guys aren't going to get, and they need that. And more importantly, they want that. They want to get paid. They want to be all-stars. They want to see if they can't lead the league in scoring or be a first-team all-league player like Harden wanted. They're not just going to sit back and go back to being role players behind those other guys. It's going to be fascinating, absolutely fascinating to see. If you were the Lakers, you're the Lakers. The, the thing about LeBron is, obviously, he brings you credibility. He has incredible personal work ethic. He's a professional, and he, he feels like like, this feels like the perfect final chapter to his book, right? But if you're the Lakers, he, he doesn't practice. Uh, he really is ball dominant. And he doesesn't move nearly as well defensively now. And, I mean, you got to think, three, four years in that contract, 
it ain't going to be great. Do you say thanks but no thanks and not actually truly engage in getting arguably the greatest player in the last 25, 30 years? Boy, see, that's, that's exactly my point. The GMs have to play these kinds of games and, you know, just like any other business to do and talk it through. I, I would have serious discussions about doing just what you said, which is let's just keep building with what we have. We see what Boston's done. They went and got Al Horford. He, he was an all-star, but he wasn't in the, he's not in LeBron James' world. Uh, let's, let's, I, I love, love talent. I think they have a lot of upside. Uh, I, I would go that route. I look at it this way. They've been dominated by such a, an, an egomaniacal superstar. I don't mean that in such a negative way, but we all know Kobe dominated everything and was fantastic. And, and before that, they had other guys. Man, it'd be nice and maybe fresh to not have to go through that once again because when you get LeBron, you are getting someone that's going to dictate everything. He doesn't want young guys. He wants the old veterans that he can hang with and, and he can trust that they won't ever do anything wrong thing off the court. Now, I think L.A., I think it'd be great to try something different and, and build a little bit instead of just going to get the next guy until all the pieces are in place win immediately then, then maybe i would do it you can follow him on twitter you can go to his website davidthorpe.com of course you can uh, check out his work at flow sports coach thorpe thanks so much for joining us and giving us all that info you got it thanks Doug. pleasure is all mine it's doug gottlieb show on fox sports radio some very surprising news regarding one more, one of the more controversial stories in the nfl i'll share it with you next online shopping can be confusing well not anymore with true price from true car now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car so visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Now's a fantastic time to buy a new Honda. Visit shophonda.com. Visit your local Honda dealer today. Uh, Jeff Schwartz is going to join us tomorrow. All Ball Podcast will drop sometime tomorrow morning. The press. David Gascon, let's get to as many of these stories as we can, David. Let's, fire when ready. I'll wrap this thing up in the National Football League. No 49ers, Redskins, Ravens, Broncos, or Chargers. That's right. You get the 2018 Cleveland Browns showcased on HBO's Hard Knocks. Do you like this move? Um, Zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why not, right? It's like, uh, um, what was it? What was the... Uh, what was the uh, sorry? I, I, forgive me if you don't like these words. What was the really fat, white, trashy chick who became Honey Boo Boo? Whatever. Oh yeah, right. Yes. yes. That's basically what the Browns are of the NFL. Sit down, Ramos. Is it Honey? <laughs> what, what is it, Ramos? What is it? I think it's that. It's Honey it's Boo. Honey Boo Boo. Yeah. yeah. But what was the name of that show? Oh, yes, who knows? She lost a bunch of weight too, didn't she? She did. She did. Yeah. Oh, it's Honey Boo Boo's mom. I don't know if Honey Boo Boo actually lost a bunch of weight. Honey Boo Boo's mom did. I mean, get some before and after pictures. Mama June, Mama June was the was the was the mom. What? I think she had her stomach stapled, and she oh. looks she looks much better now. All right. Uh, no, she is not on the list. Uh, <laughs> no, no, she is not. She's on the no grease diet. Anyway, go ahead. Oh man, we'll continue with the national football. She lost three hundred pounds. Wow, that's pretty good. Anyway, that's the Browns are the Honey Boo Boo or the 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 Mama June Honey Boo Boo of the NFL. Like people can't. They can't help themselves but watch dysfunction. Well, we'll see what happens with them. Ruben Foster's ex-girlfriend, we covered this throughout, testifying in court today that she lied about Foster hitting her. She made up the accusations as part of a money scheme. Foster's accuser, her ex- his ex-girlfriend, she was actually jailed in 2011 for a false claim of domestic violence. 
She said today during testimony that she admitted that she was arrested back in 2011 and charged charged with two counts of aggravated assault in Baton Rouge. Case was obviously dismissed. She was in court today, obviously testifying. She said, I didn't want to get this far in the news. It was about the money. I was pissed and I wanted to end him. End quote. She should go to jail. Yes. And by the way, every woman who was ever uh, assaulted by their significant other should be furious because it makes us think that their claims are not valid, that they're after the money. But what a what a black-hearted person. What a bad person. Yeah, judge will have a ruling on May the 23rd. Stick with the National Football League. WPVI in Philadelphia is reporting the Philadelphia Eagles have officially been invited to the White House on June the 5th to celebrate their victory against the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 52. White House Deputy Press Secretary Lindsey Walters said in a statement, quote, President Trump looks forward to welcoming in the Philadelphia Eagles to the White House on June the 5th to celebrate their Super Bowl victory. You think they go? Yes. I do, too. Two. I, I think they do, too. And by the way, if you don't like the president or, for example, what he apparently said about uh, immigrants from Mexico yesterday, mm-hmm. the only chance you'll ever get to have that discussion is if you actually go to the White House. I would go, I would go if, look, we'll go. We want 15 minutes to talk with him. Do you think they'll do anything like the Golden State Warriors did where they hung out in D.C. and did a lot with the community? I think there will be a good portion of them that won't go, but I think there will be a good portion of them that do go. Hey, get out there and press. That was the press. Crazy, though, right? That used to be like the greatest honor. Disneyland, and then you get to go to the White House. Now teams are just not going. Not going. But politics is sports and politics have found a way to kind of blend Together, I'm not sure that will ever end. We'll be back tomorrow. Get you ready for a wild weekend in the NBA. Download the All Ball Podcast or the Doug Gottlieb Show Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.